You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. I'm David Ramil, the host of Locked On Heat, the longest-running podcast covering your Miami Heat. Thanks for making Locked On Heat your first listen every day. And remember that every episode is always free and available wherever you listen to podcasts. So make sure to subscribe and follow to get the best coverage available. The Miami Heat preseason kicks off in less than 24 hours. A 7.30 p.m. matchup against the Atlanta Hawks here in Miami should be an interesting game. I think a true test after a week of scrimmaging against one another, against practicing against one another. Miami's head coach, Eric Spolstra, told me that he's looking forward to the competition of going up against another team, another NBA team, another test to see exactly how far along this team has come over the last week. I asked him how they had started to gel, whether or not he started to see the beginnings of an identity. And while he did not like the comparison to past rosters, he did say that the team was progressing well because of the veteran leadership and mix of young players, something I'll talk about throughout the episode when I asked the question about whether or not the Miami Heat are facing too much pressure to save South Florida sports. I'll also talk a little bit about the starting lineup because it seems like that might be set in stone, and I'm not sure if that's necessarily a good idea. But I'll start off with a discussion about whether or not the Miami Heat have a clear player who will be initiating the offense. And at first, listen, you would think, yes, automatically, that's Kyle Lowry. Uh, Following the Friday afternoon scrimmage, against, well, internal scrimmage against each other, (laughs) the Miami Heat were all talking about Kyle Lowry. He was the guy who was initiating everything. It was clear that the ball was in his hands. And that kind of seemed to rub, well, not necessarily rub anybody the wrong way, but I, I think it just kind of piqued my curiosity because I'm not sure if that's the best model for Miami to fit moving forward. If you look to Miami's offense last year, Most of it, obviously, running through Jimmy Butler to a lesser degree would run through Bam and to an even lesser degree, guys like Goran Dragic, Andre Guadala, maybe some Tyler Hero and Kendrick Nunn thrown in here for good measure. But again, the bulk of it was going through Jimmy Butler. And it makes sense. Jimmy, a guy who can bring the ball up, who can power through to the rim, who can draw contact, or of course, as an incredible playmaker, can find those perimeter options, those shooters out in the wings that will be able to knock down to three. If Jimmy has to play off-ball, which it seems like that's the likely progression, should Kyle Lowry have the ball in his hands, that kind of limits Miami's offense to some degree, at least how I currently envision it. Maybe that's not necessarily the case. But right now, if you have Kyle bringing up the ball, initiating offense, looking for his shot, looking to get to the rim, etc., Jimmy playing off-ball – You're kind of leaving him out in the wing there. He's not a knockdown shooter. Maybe uh, he could run a secondary action after the defense collapses on Kyle, something to that effect. That's always a possibility. Run it, run it. Have those, you know, again, actions going towards the rim and then have Jimmy kick it out to the perimeter or another trailer, perhaps like a Bam and a Bio, somebody who can finish at the rim. Those are options, but it seems like that's kind of clunky when it comes to the offense. I think it would be a little bit better suited for this team if you give the ball to Jimmy and if he initiates offense, knowing that Kyle is a guy who is an incredible threat from the perimeter as well as another guy who can get to the rim and initiate contact. You'd rather have the option of having somebody out there like Kyle Lowry who can knock down the shot alongside Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson to a lesser degree, P.J. Tucker, I just, I'm not sure exactly how it's going to play out. And, and 
look again to to my point from before Tyler Hero following Friday scrimmage saying it's his world meaning Kyle Lowry we're just living in it that's somewhat of a joke but then Adebayo kind of followed up on that saying he likes things a certain way Jimmy likes things a certain way I like things a certain way throughout the scrimmage we were figuring it out that's pretty much what it is just figuring it out getting comfortable with each other I asked Bo about it today, and he, he mentioned that it's going to take some time. It's all about growing organically. There's no clearly delineated, this guy is going to initiate offense. This guy has to play off ball. He understands that as players, they'll be figuring out. And he followed up by saying, smart players in this league can and will figure it out. So it kind of sounds a little hands-offish. I think the answer was deliberately vague that he doesn't want to give away too much just yet. But we'll see on Monday exactly how it plays out because if it's just this offense of going, you know, kind of going through Kyle and then taking Jimmy away from his strong suit, as I've mentioned many times throughout the two years that he's been with this team, so good at kind of dictating the pace, understanding what's needed of him and his teammates, in control, finding guys in their spots. Now you've got another guy like Kyle Lowry who can do pretty much the same thing to a smaller degree, perhaps not just smaller in terms of his role, but also in terms of his actual size. He's not quite the same facilitator to some degree because, you know, that's what Jimmy does at six, seven. He can certainly find guys a little bit more easily, I think, than Kyle does. Kyle understands these tendencies better uh, in terms of it's just he's figures out all these roles. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm legitimately confused even as I'm talking about this because I'm just I'm thinking about Kyle Lowry trying to initiate offense. No doubt he can do so to a high level. But just kind of rendering Jimmy a little bit less effective by putting him off ball, I had hoped that maybe we'd see more Jimmy, you know, kind of evolving into that same Dwayne Wade role, the way he began in 2011, where he had to learn how to play off of LeBron James more effectively. Kyle, no LeBron James, but it seems like he's going to be initiating offense most of the time. Look, I, I think he's going to be the pace setter to a certain degree moving forward, and we'll have to see how Jimmy learns to thrive on that. Jimmy's numbers might take a small dive this year, considering he was playing at a near MVP level last season. I'm curious to see how it all works out. Uh, Bam, I think by nature of his athleticism, explosiveness, and improved jump shot, I think he'll be thriving. Yeah, I, if you're looking at how this offense, if it's tailored around Kyle Lowry, it certainly seems like it is, I wonder where these numbers are going to start to impact. You know, We're going to have a more productive point guard than we did in terms of playmaking, certainly in terms of shooting. Not necessarily in terms of scoring because Kyle Lowry, I'm sorry, Kendrick Nunn and Goran Dragic were both score first guards. Uh, and I think that was just their strong suit, even Goran as he was getting older in his career. So, in terms of Kyle, more of a playmaker, better shooter, not looking to score necessarily, but a guy who can get to the rim. We'll see how that plays out at this stage in his career if he wants to continue to initiate contact. Jimmy, however, those playmaking numbers might take a little bit of a dive. I don't. I don't necessarily mind it. If he can thrive in it, and I certainly think that he can. Again, to suppose point, smart players will figure it out. If he's a guy who's playing off ball, again, as another trailer, a guy who finishes up, another one who can, again, attack the basket and then repeat. You know, if Kyle attacks first and then Jimmy's there with the ball in his hands, he can go ahead and attack again as the defenses collapse. And then all of a sudden, all it takes is one person out on the perimeter or a third cutter, somebody who can move off ball a little bit, maybe bam, Maybe P.J. Tucker, 
Certainly Duncan Robinson, we've seen that capacity from him as well. That's another easy basket, another easy opportunity at the rim. So it it's going to work. It may seem clunky at first. This is just a, a, a PSA that I believe we're going to have some issues with it at first, but eventually it'll play out. I think I just have too much faith in what Spo terms a high IQ team. Like he just really appreciates the fact that Kyle brings up the IQ of this team to another level, that P.J. Tucker, Markeith Morris, Duncan Tyler, Max Struess, all these guys, certainly high IQ players, and I think that's a big positive moving forward. But I will get into the questions about the starting lineup and whether or not it's the most effective. But first, I wanted to tell you about the app Sleeper. If you haven't heard of it, they've been revolutionizing fantasy sports uh, since they realized back in 2018 that fantasy basketball was broken, games were being won and lost based on whose players had more scheduled games that week. It made no sense. It required very little strategy. So in 2020, Sleeper released a brand new way of playing fantasy basketball called Game Pick, only available on the Sleeper app. In Game Pick, owners pick a single game per week for each starter to count towards their team's total score, ensuring an even number of games played between opponents. The days of losing because your opponent's players simply had more scheduled games to play in that week are over. Whether you prefer a redraft, a keeper, or dynasty, Game Picks has you covered. Sleeper cracked the fantasy basketball code. If you play fantasy football, if you prefer building out a weekly strategy versus daily busy work, you're going to love Game Picks. Download the Sleeper app and start a league with your friends today, and you will not be disappointed. But one thing that can be disappointing is your current cable system. Today, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment you love without the hassle. That's DirecTV Stream. They bring you live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, which means you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So stop waiting and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Am I making too much of it? I don't know. I'm curious to see how it all plays out. I think this is where we're at in terms of just waiting for this team. We've talked about it for months. There's the potential of all these players. There's the talking up of media day in that first week of practices and scrimmages and everything else like that. And now it's just chance to see the actual product on the floor. Kyle certainly raises this team's IQ, certainly raises the team's ceiling and floor, I think, to a higher level. But how is he going to be able to just play alongside Jimmy Butler, another high IQ player, another player that's thrived with the ball in his hands, both here and in Philadelphia? If you recall, Philadelphia's, I mean, that seems like an eternity ago, and I hate even bringing it up because I know a lot of Heat fans just want to get riled up about the Sixers and equally want to rile up Sixers fans, understandably so. But if you remember, their best lineup in the playoffs before Jimmy came to Miami was with Jimmy with the ball in his hands. And then Ben just could never really find his place there. He was a guy who was forced to play off of it to some degree. So it's going to be a big question mark. And something I failed to bring up in that first segment is that, yes, Kyle has played off ball to some degree in Toronto, but it worked there because basically he and Fred Van Vliet were interchangeable parts. Both of them could initiate offense. Both of them equally skilled at spreading the floor with their three-point shot. Not what you can say about Miami, considering Bam and Jimmy are both basically non-shooters or maybe even shooter shooting liabilities. And given that, 
now if you want to have your best shooters on the perimeter, why not? Then you're going to have to put Kyle out there. So I wonder how things are going to play out. We'll see against Atlanta. That should be a good one. Of course, I'll be recapping that game for you Monday night. But as far as the starting lineup is concerned on Friday's scrimmage, we saw that basically the starting lineup does include Kyle, Duncan Robinson, Jimmy Butler, P.J. Tucker, and Bam Adebayo. Now, the big question there, obviously, is Tucker. I had thought that maybe Markeith Morris would get some playing time. I'm not sure exactly. I'm not sure why Tucker gets the, the starting nod now. I don't know if it's just his championship experience, his gritty personality, his versatility as a defender. I saw him today at practice. I'm recording this on a Sunday afternoon, Sunday afternoons, Sunday morning's practice, rather. P.J. Tucker just talking about a scrimmage, even just as he was walking off the court, he was talking to Duncan Robinson. It's like he remembered something that happened earlier in the day, and he just went over there, pulled Dunk aside while Duncan was on shooting drills and just kind of barking in his ear and say, you got to cut this way, you got to do that, and Duncan listening. And maybe maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's the high, Q part, high IQ part, excuse me, that makes P.J. the logical starter. I, I mean, you're not going to get much offense from him. Uh, I, I think he's going to be a little bit, you know, cutting off ball to some degree, coming coming in off the baseline there. I, I don't think you necessarily want him shooting from the top of the key or anything like that. Even shooting drills today, that seemed like he just was very uncomfortable shooting from that, that spot on the floor there. And I, I think he's just going to be relegated to a corner shooter at this point in his career, uh, maybe it's a confidence issue, but I'm not sure. I, I really, I don't know exactly what it is. And there's also the money. You're paying P.J. more. I think the thought is that, you know, he's got to get some more playing time to justify that contract size. Uh, you know, I, I think Markeith might be the better scorer of the two, but maybe they feel that they have enough offense. Maybe Spo and the coaching staff believes they've got enough firepower between Duncan, Kyle, Jimmy and Bam, and then you can afford to have somewhat of an offensive liability in Tucker out there, given that he's a little bit better of a defender, a little bit more versatile even than uh, Markeith Morris is. And, and look, uh, Ira Winderman of the Sun Sentinel asked a pretty solid question regarding Miami's matchup versus the Atlanta Hawks because uh, he pointed out that in last season's matchup between the two teams, Atlanta was just one of those teams that killed Miami on the glass between Clint Capella, uh, John Collins – all their large wing players, they just had no answer on the glass for them. And I think he asked Spo whether or not those issues had been addressed. And Spo said, yes, it's more of an emphasis for this team. He also pointed out that it's, you know, it's just the personnel, I think, is a little bit better for procuring key rebounds in key situations. I don't buy it necessarily. The answer just seemed like he didn't want to necessarily provide any kind, any kind of super clear answer. There's a concern there. I mean, you're going to go up against teams like Milwaukee. You're going to go up against teams like Brooklyn and others that have enough size out there or you're in a severe liability already. And, and you know, the, the rebounding might not necessarily be as important as it once was, but that's not to say that you don't want to be able to procure those boards to some degree. Look, maybe a full season of Dwayne Dedman certainly helps. Maybe we'll see more Dedman out of bio matchups. That should be an interesting one, too. A good question moving forward is whether or not we start to see that broken out of mothballs the way many of us expected it to be last season when Deadman first joined the team. And it didn't quite work out that way. I think they probably could have used that combination of size and length overall 
I, I know that Deadman is somewhat a liability if you're talking about non-shooters in that starting lineup. While he can shoot the ball, I don't know that you necessarily want him doing it, certainly not with a high number of attempts per game. So it's another question to look for throughout camp whether or not Spo starts to tweak that uh, lineup to some degree. And he's open to it. He's talked about wanting to play multiple different lineups. He was noncommittal, of course, being Spo, uh, regarding how many minutes players would get here and there. I'm sure he's going to look to see players thrive with one another, how they play off of each other, whether or not there's that natural chemistry there. I keep seeing, and I think we're going to see most of that during the, the game, actually. We're going to see more of the Max Struz-Gabe-Vincent tandem. I think they're going to get more playing time this year. I think there's a belief that Gabe has taken somewhat of a leap. They're big believers in Max Struz. I don't know if it's just because of the summer league play. It's because of his work ethic. Uh, you know, Bam described him as being sneaky athletic, and I think that's fair. I mean, I, I think that's kind of code for, well, he's white. You don't really expect him to get that hop to go to the basket. That's fine. I, I didn't expect that either when he first joined the team, and then we did see it sporadically throughout the regular season. Uh, I'm curious to see uh, how his role evolves because, again, if you add him to a regular contract, as you did Gabe Vincent, you're probably going to play them. If you're looking at the depth issues of this team until Victor Oladipo returns to health, and by the way, Eric Spolster confirming that Oladipo will not be available on Monday against the Atlanta Hawks, you're going to have to go with somebody. KZ Okpala, the project remains such. I don't think he's going to get any kind of consistent playing time. I don't know how many opportunities he will get throughout the regular season. I'd like him to get a bulk of them just because you want to rest your older guys. And while, yes, you do want to test them, yes, you do want to see how they play off one another. Okpala is at that point now where you've got to get something out of him. You have to be able to figure out what's happening with him or else he's just taking up a roster spot in a way that you can't justify the way that I, even I have found to be able to justify Udonis Haslam's spot on this roster. So uh, he's a young player. There's potential there. This isn't this isn't UD evolving into something very, very different. And by the way, condolences to UD for missing practice. He's, you know, obviously going through a say, personal tragedy right now. So hopefully, uh, best of luck, best wishes to him moving forward with the rest of the season. I imagine that's probably taken some of his excitement out. I mean, of course, it's also not that exciting to participate in your 19th training camp. I'm sure that's a big reason why he's not playing uh, this year either. But uh, overall, though, I would say that, uh, you know, you've got to be able to maximize KZ's tenure here because you're at that point where he just he needs to be able to figure it out um I don't know I, I there are issues with that starting lineup we're gonna see it I think change here and there not just based on injuries but I think I spoke continues to make little tweaks here and there figure out whether or not player X can fit a little bit better maybe we'll see PJ come to the bench maybe we'll even see Duncan come to the bench I could see that being an issue at times not an issue a, a possibility. That's that's the better word for it. But uh, one thing that isn't a possibility is finding a better tasting protein bar than Built Bar. But believe me, I, I've you know I've been telling you about it for months. You probably tried them by now, and if you haven't, what are you waiting for? They're the best tasting protein bars ever. You get all the nutrients you're looking for in a protein bar without any of that traditional chalky taste. They're soft. Easy to chew, 100% covered in chocolate, and all of their flavors are delicious. You can get a mixed box with all their different flavors. Try some, give some away to coworkers and family and friends. They won't be disappointed either. And best of all, if you go to Built.com right now and use the promo code LOCK15, you get 15% off your order. What's That's an incredible bargain. Use the promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off, but only if you visit Built.com. 
again for making Locked On Heat your first listen every day. And of course, we're always free and available on all platforms. Now, the question, is there pressure on the Miami Heat to save South Florida sports? Look, maybe it's just recording this on a Sunday afternoon, but it feels like these weekends are increasingly more and more really, really, really glum out there amongst South Florida sports fans. And, of course, everybody keeps somewhat jokingly kind of tongue-in-cheek saying, oh, save us Heat, save us Miami Heat, and things of that sort. And I I think that's probably much more accurate than joking at this point. I I think that there's a real belief that Miami built to – contend for a championship having had much more success than any other South Florida franchise over the last 26 seasons, 26 years, I think is going to continue to thrive. Uh, I think they're just, they're built for success this year. At least that's the the common theme in everybody that I talk to and, and just being around the team, you get the sense that there's a high belief in a title run and title contention, regardless of whether or not they have more quote unquote talent, more size, less size, things of that sort. They, they are, all in on a championship this season in year one of Kyle Lowry's tenure here in Miami. But when you look at the Miami Dolphins, one and three, the Miami Hurricanes, two and three, the Marlins out of the playoffs, the Panthers a season not just yet ready to kick off, I think that there is a little bit of disparity. I remember even as a kid, I, I, maybe maybe a lot of you can identify with this, there, there was always that hope of like a perfect sports weekend where the Canes and Dolphins would win, the Heat would win, maybe there'd be a Marlins game, especially during those playoff years and things of that sort. It's, it seems a little unlikely, but you're always going for at least a trifecta. If not, I don't even know if there's a term. I don't gamble, so I don't know if there's a, a term for hitting on all four picks or something like that. But if you've got all four of your teams that you root for, at least locally, and they could all somehow find a way to win, that was the perfect sports weekend. Because the the opposite of that, is a week long of misery. At least that's how I always felt. When I was following football regularly, and, I, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, I don't watch the sport anymore. I won't judge you for doing so because I did so probably a little too religiously having played the game myself. I was always just, I just, I could never stop getting excited uh, in a way that probably wasn't good for me watching either Canes games or Dolphins games. And if you've been a Dolphins fan for a long time, you know how frustrating that can be. And again, you, you you put all your emotion, you pin all your emotional hopes on this two-day event, these two games uh, over Saturday and Sunday, and if they both lose, everything's a mess. Monday is dreary. You go into the office, and it's almost like, like for you couples out there, having a fight the night before and then waking up the next day and going, oh, yeah, that's right, that happened. You know, unless you ascribe to that policy, which I've never been able to really do, is you know you don't want to ever go to sleep angry. Anyway, that's maybe the, too much information there, but I, I, I've always found that at some point or another, with uh, past partners or anything like that, you go to a fight, you get into a fight the night before. If you don't fix it that night, the next day you kind of wake up and you go, "Oh yeah, that happened." Well, it was same similar to that with sports fandom because you wake up on Monday morning, and you go, "Ah, oh, <laughs> the Dolphins lost." Ah. Oh. That's right. The Canes lost too, and, and you know every website you go to, ESPN or or whatever, and you know, Herald website, any local sporting website, and you find out, oh, this team succeeded, this team didn't. Of course, the painful reminders of that. And now all of a sudden, with the Heat season waiting to kick off, is there pressure on this team to succeed? Uh, obviously not internally. And I'm I'm kind of doing this segment somewhat jokingly, considering you know how everybody seems to be 
really upset about the current state of South Florida sports, and I totally understand it. And at the same time, I think that the disappointment, if the expectations for this team are high as fans, and believe me, I understand, you're always going to have those expectations, however unrealistic they may be, that your team can contend for a championship. I just don't want to see the first – when – when – when this team hits a speed bump along their way to a title, if they have some big midseason meltdown or a couple of games stretched there where the, you know they go 0-4 perhaps or lose four games straight, certainly a possibility, especially when you have older players that may succumb to injury. I don't want a lot of turning on this team. You know, I can't dictate how you control your fandom or not. Part of the passion of fandom is just letting those expectations run wild and, and living and dying with every play and every game. And I totally understand that. But it just seems like the past couple of seasons, especially now that I've been covering the team for who, seven seasons, it feels like I, I kind of have to always have this midseason argument, conversation with fans, kind of walk them off the ledge, talk them off the ledge and say, you know what, it's going to be okay. Things aren't that bad. I survived 11 and 30. I know that as fans, you probably just had totally turned off of that team. I know there were a lot of people actively rooting for tanking and things of that sort, something the team is never going to do, that players will never do, but that the franchise and front office would never lean into 100%. Having said that, as much as it's difficult for you to live with your fandom, it's infinitely harder to try and cover a team that has nothing good about it to say. Nothing! For you long-term listeners, and I know that there's a lot of you out there, the, the power forward belt was not as exciting as me and my former co-host Wes Goldberg made it seem. Like We were really trying to come up with anything to talk about that team because there's only so many Luke Babbitt pick-and-roll situations that we could talk about. You know, There's only so many errant passes by James Johnson and, and Dion kind of rounding into form and the hope that Derek Williams was going to finally turn into the lottery pick that he was. Unfortunately, that never really played out the way he did. Not to knock Derek guy I enjoy talking to and, and really hope that he would thrive and has in Europe. He has actually found a place to thrive internationally, so good for him. But having said that, about this team, I really think that there is a lot of high hopes being pinned on their finding success. I don't think 82-0 is realistic. I don't think 70 games is realistic. And I don't really think 60 games is realistic just because of the quality of opponents that we're going to find in both conferences. I've hinted at this before. There may not be parity here, but there is, I think, a much wider distribution of quality players, I think. You don't have the uh, the big threes as much. You have even, even Miami's big three. You know, Kyle no longer in the top 15, top 20 conversation, if he ever was. But at this stage in his career, certainly much more closer to 40-ish. And having said that, I don't think Miami really – I don't think people are looking at Miami's quote-unquote big three and really look at them as such. I made that same argument against Milwaukee, and I will continue to do so. Chris Milton, excellent player. Uh, Drew Holiday, excellent player. Really had a great offseason, a fantastic end to his playoffs, postseason, excuse me, and, of course, a great offseason and traveling with Team USA and, and being a phenomenal player, a guy who's really just leaned into his role and has found some some great balance there between defense and offense. But I, I, I look at that three. They're not a big three. Those are their three best players. Every team has three best players. This isn't 
This isn't Miami's big three. This isn't even Boston's big three. This isn't the Los Angeles Lakers' big three of the 80s. This isn't the Showtime era. Nobody here is playing James Worthy's role. Nobody here is Magic Johnson or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You're all really good players. That doesn't necessarily mean you're fielding a big three. Miami's quote-unquote big three, really, really good, really complimentary. And I think there's hope that they're going to be able to win a lot and win often. And I'm hoping that a lot of you will have patience because there might be, there might be the feeling that the regular season doesn't matter as much given a player's age, given the fact that you're going to have to rest players more throughout the regular season at time. I think you really want to start incorporating that. Look, I, I, I don't know how Eric Spolster is going to be able to do that. It's never been a strong suit of his, and I don't know that he's necessarily going to do it now. But I'm curious to see whether or not he finds a way to rest guys like Jimmy and Kyle a little bit more frequently because they're going to need it because you don't want to face nagging injuries. You don't want to have those kind of things crop up and pile up, uh, especially at this stage in their career. And mostly because... I, Spo is always very fond of saying that throughout the regular season, particularly in March and April, especially now that the, the calendar is back to being what it normally was, you want to start gearing up. You want to start building good habits throughout the regular season, getting to that point where you're playing your best basketball right before you enter the playoffs. How, you know What we saw from this team last year was a lot of inconsistency, uh, up and down stretches here, even towards the end of their season. And of course, then the 0-4 slaughter at the hand of the Milwaukee Bucks. And I think that's kind of hanging over this team too, where the regular season doesn't matter. It doesn't. You want a top four seed in the Eastern Conference, but that's not the that's not what matters here. You've got to be able to beat opponents on the road too. So even if you're a five through eight seed. When you probably don't want to be in that group anyway, just because of the play-in tournament, you also have to be able to just knock off quality opponents on the road. There's no denying that, and, and that's partly why you have a real gamer, a high IQ player, if you will, like Kyle Lowry. And, and I think that's the hope there is that they're going to start, they're going to focus more on succeeding in the postseason rather than fighting and clawing for 52 wins just so be they could be a fourth seed and they just break down as the postseason starts. You don't want that either. I'd rather go 45 and 37 and then hope that they can flick a switch as the playoffs kick off rather than, you know, get 50-something wins and, and just, you know, lose steam. A very realistic possibility, considering the health and age of this team. But just a reminder that you can always reach me via email at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com or via Twitter using the hashtag AskAllHeat. Be sure to once again follow the show and leave a review. That's it for today. Thank you so much for taking the time to be a part of the show and to listening to us regularly. Thanks to all of our sponsors for supporting today's episode. I'm David Ramil, signing off for now.